You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Good morning. Good to be here, up here, (laughs) usually I'm down there in the back. It's a real privilege to be able to come in and and, uh, fill in for Jim this morning while he's uh, incapacitated. I told him I was going to come up and slug him in the arm just to say hi, but he wouldn't have appreciated that very much, so I didn't. Uh, As uh, Dave read the scriptures, and, and by the way, that was an interesting version I love different versions of the Bible, and probably because I'm a translator or have been a translator and, and uh, never thought about translating my own into English, it'd probably be way too long, so I won't give it a try, but, but uh, we're going to be looking at Galatians this morning. Uh, let me just ask you this, uh, you know, I love Christmas, do you? I love the season, I love, I love especially what it means, because it's not just about Jesus' birth, was it? It's the whole gospel. Because why did he come to earth? He came to earth to sacrifice himself for us. Now, here's the question. If, if you had all that and you have Christmas, but you had to work to gain God's merit in order to gain eternal life and salvation, would that be good news? Well, that's what... Galatians is talking about. And that's what Paul was starting to talk about here. Uh, when, I, when I read the book of Galatians, and I, I read it through it many times, and especially when I had to translate it into the Manhui people, and, and it, it's interesting because each time I read this book, I realize that sometimes we also can become a little bit like the Galatian Christians in Paul's day. And what I mean by that is, is that sometimes we forget the clarity and the simplicity of this gospel message and the freedom that it brings. And so what happens is sometimes we get caught up in pleasing people. We get caught in pleasing people, doing what people want to say instead of God. I know that I've done this. In fact, fact, when I was a kid, it it was all about pleasing people and pleasing God and and doing good things so that God would accept me. Well, that wasn't a gospel either, was it? Uh, I thought that I had to work to maintain my salvation. And, and I, didn't, I didn't understand all the ins and outs of the gospel in those days, but, but I was tempted to supplement what God had already done on my behalf by my good deeds, by my good things. And, and, and you know, when we do this, this is what I mean, is what happens is when we do this, we become very similar to these Christians or these so-called Christians of the, of, of the churches of Galatia. Instead of standing on the fact that God has absolutely accepted us and declared us in right standing or righteous in his sight on the basis of what Christ has is, Christ is done, or in other words, by grace. Sometimes we get to think that, or we, or we hope that God will, will, will accept us by our own standard, by our own merits, by the things we've done. And, and uh, instead of resting on his word and living by faith, that is believing that it's already been done for us and not depending on our own efforts. So Paul's theme in this book of Galatians, 
And by the way, there's not a lot of history, uh, historical background of the book of Galatians. We don't have a whole lot uh, that we can find. But Paul's theme was this to the Galatian churches. We can never add to God's grace. We can never gain God's acceptance by keeping any kind of laws. And like I said, I was involved in uh, going to church, uh, going to prayer meetings, uh, doing the good things that I thought a Christian should be doing. And that's the way I was raised. In all those things, I thought I was gaining God's acceptance or God's merit. But, hey, it's already been done. And the, the Galatian Christians had been fooled into thinking this very same thing, that they had to add things. They had to add circumcision. They had to add observance of the Sabbath and uh, the Jewish, other Jewish traditions to grace, to God's provision. And they were being told they needed to live by their works. And there were men who were coming in telling them this, and they wanted to appease those men who were telling them. They thought that was right. And so Paul is correcting that error in, in, uh, in this. And so let's start this morning by examining this book. Before we do, let's, let's just ask the Lord to, to guide us here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is clear. And thank you for this little book of Galatians that Paul wrote to those churches and also to us. Pray that we'll, it'll be clear as far as we get this morning in it and that you'll, you'll guide our hearts and our minds as we think about this idea of grace. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start by, by looking at these first few verses in Galatians. Uh, let me read just verses 1 through 5 again here real quick. It says, Paul, an apostle not sent from men or through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. And that is as far as we're going to get this morning. I wish I had uh, actually two hours, and I might get all the way down to verse 10, but we're not going to be able to make it this morning. So let's, let's just, at least we'll get a beginning, and then you can follow up with your own, your own studies, okay? Here's just a little quick outline. Uh, Paul's salutation is the first point. It's verses 1 through 5. And within that salutation are these three points. Who wrote the letter? To whom the letter was written? and the prayer that Paul had for the Christians. The second point, verses 6 through 10, would be Paul's shock. But we're gonna, like I said, we're not going to get in that. You'll have to read it for yourselves. So let's look, first of all, at Paul's salutation. Who wrote the letter? It says here, Paul, an apostle. Paul, an apostle. And he begins this letter by stating that he was the author. There was no other author but him, and, and that he was an apostle. And actually, this is the same greeting that he gave to a number of other uh, churches when he wrote to them. For instance, uh, in Romans, he said this very same thing, that Paul was an, uh, Paul an apostle. And he says that also in Colossians. He says it in 1 Corinthians. And he says it in Romans. All these books all had the same, the same idea. is either he was an apostle or that God called him to be an apostle. So... What is an apostle? And I know some of you have, have probably heard other teaching on this, so you probably have the idea. But it comes from a Greek word, and this is very hard to understand, apostolos, right? 
It kind of sounds like apostle, doesn't it? Well, that's what it is. It actually is almost the same word in the Greek. It means a delegate or one sent forth. Uh, It's used to convey the idea of an ambassador, a messenger from someone, and it's usually someone that's sent to represent someone else. And specifically, as we, if we've been following what some of Jim's teaching over the years, we know that, uh, that there were 12, actually, to start with, that were actually named apostles in Matthew 10 uh, and in Luke 6. Both of those books show that they were actually called apostles, the 12 disciples. However, eventually, one of them, who, the one who, uh, Judas, who... Uh, betrayed Jesus, was taken out of the number. So there was only 11 apostles. And as we see here, Paul is regarding himself as one of these apostles or as an apostle as well. And I believe this was because of his specific calling that he had on the Damascus Road in the book of Acts, where God said that you would uh, speak for me, many things for me, and you will also suffer for me, is what he said. So it was clear that Paul wanted to make this clear that he also was an apostle or a representative to carry Jesus' message. Then it says here, not sent. And it starts here in a parenthesis now. And we don't find this in any of the other books. He's not sent from men, nor through the agency of men, he says. So following this was a declaration uh, or a parenthetical statement that takes up the rest of this verse, uh, verse 1. And he's saying that he didn't represent any other particular group, no other man, no other person, uh, and uh, no specific church. Now, we do know that Paul had come from Antioch, but he doesn't mention that. Uh, it, possibly it was implied. Possibly these people knew that. We don't know that. It could have been that he was also, uh, uh, that Peter or that James also was a part of that uh, group, or Peter or some of the other apostles, but we don't have the, the, the background. So he just, we just know that Paul wanted to make it absolutely clear that it was not, not from any other man. It was not man's words. It was Jesus Christ, words from Christ. He says, but through Jesus Christ, he says here. And as he states, he was sent directly by Jesus. And I think the possible reason for this declaration here was because there were certain Jewish factions that had been circulating among the Galatian churches, and they were saying that, that, uh, that he wasn't one of the real apostles. So you don't need to listen to Paul's words. He's only a man. He's, he has nothing to do with the, the... He doesn't even preach the true gospel, some of them were saying. He was fabricating his own gospel, uh, not representing Jesus Christ. And so that's why Paul makes it clear here in this little book of Galatians. He felt the need to specifically tell these people that he didn't represent anybody else, only Jesus Christ. And it says, to top it off, it says, and God the Father, here in the same verse, and God the Father... Paul, an apostle, not sent from men or through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. So he gives further clarification that he's not. Re- he's also representing God himself, this same God by whose power Jesus rose from the dead. And Paul's mention of the resurrection here, I, I kind of think that it-, it really shows us his central th- thinking about the resurrection. He couldn't leave the resurrection out of his message. It's so important as a key to the gospel, isn't it? The resurrection. Not only did he die, but he was raised. And this is the good news, isn't it? This is the gospel. And therefore, Paul couldn't omit this idea from his mind. And interesting, it's his very belief on the resurrection and his very preaching that got him into trouble, wasn't it? Because 
when that took him to Rome and it eventually got him killed. And so it shows us so clearly how he would not be a man pleaser and water down the gospel in any way but and, and preach a non-offensive gospel. But instead, it, it was a gospel that included the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and there, there is more of the, of the attitude that he had down in verses 8 and 9. You'll have to go there yourself. We're not going to get that far this morning. But he says, and, in verse 2, he goes on, he says, and all the brethren with me, all the brethren with me. And some versions say the brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a number of different things, but we know from this that there were others with him who backed him up in what he was writing. Uh, they were in agreement to what Paul was saying to the Galatian churches. They knew that these guys needed to have some corrective teaching done. And the fact that he calls them brothers, we know they were believers. And we can only speculate as to who these people were. Uh, it could have been Barnabas. It could have been others in the church, or it could have been others that traveled with him uh, during these times. It could have been elders. We, uh, but we, like I say, we don't have a lot of historical background, so we can only surmise who these people were, but we know they were believers. Now we come to the second point, to whom the letter was written. And he says here in the same verse 2, he says, to the churches uh, in Galatia. To the churches in Galatia. So this gives us kind of like the salutation of, of what we would, uh, it kind of resembles what we would write today. If we were writing a letter, we would say, uh, Dear Jack, or, or, or Dear Friends, or Dear uh, Prayer Supporters, what I always wrote. It's kind of like that, or, or uh, uh, just Dear Sirs. And you know what? I find it interesting that there's a little bit of warmth missing here. And what I mean by that is there, there's nothing encouraging that he says about these believers. He just says the churches of Galatia. If we were to look at Romans 1, now you can take a look at it if you want, Romans 1. Paul says, Romans 1 verse 7, he says, To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints. That's, that's pretty specific. And then if we look at 1 Corinthians 1, 2, you don't have to turn with it if you want, I'll just read it for you. But it says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Saints by calling, he says. And then in Colossians, he says, to Colossians 1, 2, he says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. So it's pretty specific, uh, a real warmth, a real encouragement, stating who these people were. But what's he say to the Galatians? To the churches in Galatia. <laughs> ah, kind of sad. Some commentators have, have concluded that this lack of warmth may have been because of the seriousness of the error that these people were involved in. Uh, there was no good news in what they were believing. And so it was serious, and this error Paul wanted to correct. And, and I, I wonder, too, if he was being kind of stern and kind of cool to these people uh, and not calling them beloved of God or, or saints, because possibly these churches were full of people who were trying to gain and merit their own salvation. They were trying to work for it instead of recognizing that it was finished. And, and this is because this is what the, this book goes through into. But we can only speculate. But it is a possibility that that's why Paul was being so stern. But in spite of that part of the address being a little bit lacking or stern, we do get the next part of it. 
the third part of the salutation, which is Paul's, I call it Paul's prayer for the Galatians. Again, it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace to you. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And this part of salutation is very common in Paul's letters. Romans uh, 1.7 and 1 Corinthians 1.3 and Ephesians 1.2 and Philippians 1.2 and 2 Thessalonians all say exactly the same thing. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And because it's so common, you know, it'd be easy to just, oh yeah, that's just a greeting. Yeah, well, let's, let's go on. It's just like saying greetings to you and blessings to all of you. However, I find that I had to ask a couple of questions here when I was working on this passage. Why, if it's, if it's so common, why, why did Paul use it? And, and why is it important? And personally, I believe it's not just a simple greeting, but it's actually a prayer. And, and if, if, a prayer for these believers. I think if we were to amplify it, we could say, uh, brothers and sisters, I pray to God that he will extend his grace to you and that he will also give you his peace, that you would always experience both his grace and his peace. Now, I'd like to look at these two words, grace and peace, and in a lot more detail this morning, not because I don't think you understand, uh, don't understand them, but because I had to expand them for my own understanding. And also, just to explain just a little bit about you, this was, these two words are very difficult to translate into a culture and a people that don't speak English or don't speak Spanish. And we're going to hear just about that here. While I was working with the translation, I faced this challenge. For us that speak English, or even Spanish, because I know some of us do, right, Ed? <laughs> These words mean a lot to us. They are, they are very, very good words in, in, in our language. They're, they have a real depth of meaning to us. Uh, and we have a lot of them like that, okay? There's other words that are like grace and peace. For instance, there's love. There's joy. There's honor. There's mercy. There's forgiveness, there's compassion, and, and we go on and on with these beautiful words, couldn't we? And our English language, guess what? These are, these are what we would call abstract nouns. If you're a, a, a grammarian, you know that those are nouns, but they're abstract nouns. And the problem with Manhui is Manhui doesn't speak in abstract nouns like we do in English. They don't have a word for faith or hope or joy, or love. They have to take all of those words and understand them as verbs. That's the challenge, okay? The Manhui language is based on nouns. There are what we call a nominal language or a noun language, not a verbal language. Excuse me, a verbal language, not a noun language, whereas English is nouns. So was Greek. And when they have... Uh, they, they have lots of words for sky and trees and, and people and, and uh, even spirits. They had a good word for They had m multiple words for spirits, most of them evil. In fact, they all were evil. So they had those words, and that was an abstract because they couldn't see it. But when they come to words like hope and joy and, and peace and, and grace, they don't have words for those. They don't have one word. So, so how could they understand this idea of, of grace and peace, if they couldn't touch it or feel it or see it. So that was the challenge. Not only that, I had to understand the words as well. 
And that's part of my work as a translator. I had to study out and see what the usage was of these words and find out what they meant. So the first, this word grace. We know it comes from, in fact, we know it's a, a foundation of, of the gospel message, isn't it? If we didn't have an understanding of the word grace, what would it mean when I, if I was to read uh, Ephesians 2.8 to you, where it says, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and, and not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. How would we understand that? And, and Romans 3.24, where Paul says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. We would have no idea. Grace is, uh, in the Greek, is the word charis. It can mean joy, pleasure, delight, charm, or even loveliness, such as one's grace of speech. Those, those are, that's one definition that, that Thayer's Bible Dictionary gives us. But, but if we go deeper, we can see that it's also, there's a second definition that's talking about goodwill, a benefit, a favor, or a gift as grace as well. The word was used in the, in the scriptures then was to, as to what God has done. It, it's talking about his divine favor, uh, God's undeserved loving kindness toward ungodly sinners, his divine favor, like I said, his loving assistance, something that can't be worked or paid for, a gift. These are all part of this understanding of, the, of grace, sometimes called God's unmerited favor. Okay, And you've all heard probably that definition of grace. The problem is, even with those English definitions, guess what? They're all abstract nouns. So I had to take this and turn it into some kind of a verbal phrase. There is no one word in Manhui for grace, for saying the idea of God's grace, uh, like we have in English or even in Spanish. And in, in talking about Spanish for just a second... Uh, some of us can relate to this. The word is gracia. And some of the Manhui people did speak a little bit of Spanish. And as a translator, we have a little bit of liberty to be able to take some borrowed words and just drop them in and uh, hope if they've heard the word before, that's even better because then they can use that meaning that they have associated with in their own language as well. So you can drop the word gracia right into that word and I'd have been done with it, right? <laughs> No, it wouldn't have worked. And the problem with that is they had a different meaning when they heard the word gracia. They had been accustomed to, when they would sit around with some of the Paraguayan nationals, they would drink tea, and it's a tea that you pass this cup and everybody drinks out of it. They pour and they, they pass it out, they pour and they pass it out. And when a person is done drinking with that Paraguayan tea, or tete-a-day we call it, then the person will say, gracia, which means, in essence, thank you. Well, the Manhui took that word to mean, I'm finished. They didn't, they didn't have any idea what gracia really meant other than I'm finished. So what would have happened if I had just dropped I'm finished into Paul's prayer? I pray to God that he would give you something that finishes. Doesn't make any sense, does it? So what I needed to come up with was an action phrase. It was as possible to the Greek abstracts, the word charis, one that wouldn't cause confusion. Because this word is so important, isn't it? The idea, the concept of grace is important. Well, I began explaining to my, to my translation helpers that we had a problem. We didn't know what to say here in this word for, that was called gracia or grace. And uh, I explained to them that, that it had to be with a, do with a free gift. It had to, it had to come from God. Uh, it, it was something that uh, we didn't deserve it. 
and it had to be good. All of those things had to be in this verb, phrase. I did get a lot of answers, and I, I can't remember a lot of them, but the, the one that we finally thought would probably hit it the best was this little phrase called, and what that means in English is that which has not been worked or strived for. And, and that's all we put in there in that actually word. We replaced the word gracia for what has not been strived for or worked for. But when it's used in a scriptural passage, I linked it with God has provided it or God has given it to us. God has gifted us with this. And translating that into, into Monhuya, it comes out, God has provided us what has not been strived or worked for. And it emphasizes two points of grace. One, that it comes from God. And two, that uh, it's something that can't be worked for. Two key elements. And often in, a, in the context of a passage, we also added a little bit more. The fact he's done it because he loves us, which gets the kindness in. And the fact that uh, uh, we didn't deserve it. Not always, but sometimes we get that in. But as the, the Monahui people took that phrase and took that idea of grace and began teaching on it, all kinds of good stuff came out. They understood the concept because we were able to put it in their words. So you see, it takes a little bit more than just dropping in Spanish or drop. We could have dropped the word English in and they would have got about as much as they'd gotten in Spanish, possibly more, but obviously they had to have it in their own language. So... As it was translated, the Manahu people understood from this little part right here, as he began this letter by praying to God, that God would provide for the believers this love or this kindness, something they could not work for. So there we have the first mentioned. Then we come to the next word, peace. He says, grace and peace from God our Father. And this word peace... Or I pray that God will give you this peace. Again, we have... Guess what? An abstract noun that we have to move forward with and turn it into a, some kind of a, of a, of a phrase that's, that's verbal because they can't see it. The word peace comes from the word, from two words in the Greek, Irene, and another word, Ario. And, and it means literally something that to be joined together. And you can kind of see something joined together when we are at peace in a sense, but that isn't enough. But that's what, those are the, the, the Greek, where it comes from. And then it's used in scriptures a number of different ways. There's all kinds of ways. It's talking about a harmonious relationship between two men, or between men, as Romans 14, 19 says. There's, there's seven of them, okay? Here's the list. Number one, a harmonious relationship between men. Number two, between nations. We, we under, uh, the world understands that one. They, they are trying to seek for it, but they never seem to make it, do they? That's peace. Uh, a simple friendliness would be number three. Uh, a freedom from troubles brought on by wicked men is also a sense in peace. That's in Acts 9.31. Uh, number five, there, a sense of order or quietness within a body of people uh, like we have right now. If I stop talking, at the end, that means peace. <laughs> There's a peace here. Okay, that's an order of quiet and order and quietness, and that's in First Corinthians fourteen thirty three. Then there's number six: a reconciliation between God and believers, God and believers that brings us together, uh, which could only be accomplished 
through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And by the way, that is by far one of the most important ones, and I really wanted that one uh, to get a good understanding and a good meaning for that. It's found in Romans 5.10 and Ephesians 2.17 and Colossians 1.20, which is a very important reference. And then there's number seven. There's number seven, a sense of rest and contentment in the inner being, which we find in Romans 8, 8, or Romans 8, 6, rather, and, and Romans 15, 13, a sense of rest. And so it's obvious because this thing is such a big, it encompasses so much in our meanings. It has so many uses. I think that, that uh, which one was Paul thinking about? Actually, I think because of the fact that he was from God, and it was so it wasn't between warring nations or between people trying to get along together, but it is from God. He says this peace is from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I, so I think he's thinking about those last two, that idea of reconciliation, uh, having been enemies with God and now becoming a part of the family of God, and then that rest, that inner rest, that peace we have inside. I call it peace, but... They didn't understand that one word, but we do, don't we? We understand that there is a rest, a contentment. So in thinking about this for the Monahui people, I had to find out, what did they say? Was there anything in their culture, in their, in their language, in their understanding of this? And we did find that we could use this idea uh, in Luke. We actually uh, was translated uh, a long time before the book of, of Galatians. And in Luke 14.32, there is this peace between nations mentioned. And I was able to say in Monahui, that they agreed together not to war any longer uh, against one another like in tribal wars. But you know what? That doesn't really fit in this little passage here in Galatians. So I was kept on looking. And uh, also had, we'd also already translated the idea of, of order and quietness that's found there in 1 Corinthians 14. And, and we used this as a lack of noise and confusion. Uh, and that might have worked. That would have been okay, but... But I think there's more to it. And we also, um, I was looking for a little bit better idea. Then when I began to do a, before we got, again, before we got to Galatians, we had done a little bit of, actually, no, I was, was working in Galatians, and I hadn't, uh, I'd finished that, and I'd put some ideas in, but we went on to the book of Romans, and I was working in Romans, this is a revision, because we'd already done some of it. And on the passage in Romans 5, 1 through 10, it talks about, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a very summarized statement. But then Paul goes on in uh, the next nine verses to explain that we have uh, peace with God because before we were enemies, and now we're no longer his enemy because of Christ's death on the cross. That's what it covers. And I realized... This is a good one. This is, this is good. This is a good idea for peace. So we, we're able to use that in Colossians, in uh, Colossians 1.20 later on. But I found that the idea of becoming friends, having been enemies and becoming friends, and because of the fact that Jesus Christ has died, that's a long salutation. And I was still looking for a little bit shorter to use, even though that is a good idea. Then I remembered that in Romans 1.7, we had used another one as well. And what this one was, was it, was, it was very simple. It was the idea that God helps a believer in his in, insides, in his inner being, to, to rest when he experiences heavy burdens. And uh, I could say it manhui, but we'll just leave it at that. That's, that's what it meant. And it, was a, it wasn't a one-word phrase. It didn't say peace or pas. 
That's real quick. And it's even shorter in Spanish. But they wouldn't have understood that one zero. But this idea of God helping a believer with his inner being. And uh, it was idea. So I used that for the time being in Galatians in this, in this idea. And, and as I listened to the pastors begin to preach on this idea that uh, where it comes up in each of the different books, uh, may God grant you uh, grace and peace, they began to say another word. They said this at the end that I said when it, I stopped talking, that peace. But they used it for a different idea. They used it for that inside peace, that you, where your insides are quiet, resting in what God has done. And that's what they were starting to preach on. So I knew they had the picture. And so as we revise, we'll probably put that in. We didn't actually put that in Galatians. We used the other one, but this one is what they're talking about. So we'll probably revise it and put that in. So there you have it. Two words that take a long time to, to get into, don't they? But that's grace and peace. God's Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting. Uh, this concept of, of grace and peace, they're, they're not easy to convey in a language like Manhui, are they? But it can be done. It can be done. And the reason is, is why it's because of God's Holy Spirit who is working at all times. It's his work. It's not ours. Okay, let's quickly finish up. From God our Father, it says here, we have come to this phrase, this final phrase here. We, we're reminded that true peace only comes from God, doesn't it? Man cannot generate it. We, 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 we see what's going on in the world. Is there peace? Obviously not. There never will be unless it's from God. From God our Father. And then in verse 4 it says, And the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present age. So it's not just God the Father but the Lord Jesus Christ. And I find it so interesting here that Paul, what's he doing here? He's putting God the Father and Jesus Christ in the same place, isn't he? And that's because they are, aren't they? They are the one, one and the same. They're equal. Uh, it's the second time he's done this because he did it at the very beginning as well where he said that he was sent as a, an apostle from God the Father and from Jesus Christ. And now again he does the same thing, making sure we understand, or the Galatians and us, understand the Trinity, that God is, uh, it's both God and the Father and the Holy Spirit that provide us this grace and peace. And then he says, and he gave himself up for our sins. He gave himself up for our sins. Uh, Paul says here that Jesus literally gave himself up to sacrifice, as a sacrifice. And he was the only one that could do this, wasn't he? The only one. And he's the Lamb of God that John the Baptist talks about there in John one twenty nine, And it says here, so that he might rescue us from this present age. This is the purpose of the sacrifice in order that we would be rescued from all the evil that surrounds us. I read a commentator, and I want to just read you what he says about this. He says, Paul reminds his readers of the tremendous cost of their salvation. Note the words, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. If he gave himself to settle a sin question, then it is both unnecessary and impossible for us to add anything to that work or to help atone for our sins by law-keeping. Christ is the sole and sufficient Savior, he says. He died to deliver us from this present age. And this includes not just the moral and the political corruption, the evil in the world, but it's also the religious world, which mixes rituals and ceremonies with faith. And that's what we do. We mix things, don't we? That's, that's our tendency. We want to do something about it. We want to help God. 
And it's especially timely, he says, that the Galatians be reminded that they were regressing, he says. They were going back into the very system that Christ had rescued them. And this was Paul's concern, the reason why he was writing this. And then he says, according to the will of our God and Father. And uh, wow, it's, it's saying that it is in the sovereign will of God. It was God's choice to do this. Nothing that we could do. Nothing that we could do to help it. In verse 5, to whom be glory forevermore. Amen. To whom be the glory. This is Paul's praise, his awesome praise to God, and this is so true. It's God alone who we are to praise, isn't it? I mean, if we were working on our own salvation, we could praise ourselves, couldn't we? But we can't because it's God alone. To whom be the glory. Not any man, not any king, not any president, not any pastor, especially not self. Forevermore. Evermore throughout eternity because of what he's done. Another version, it's the uh, New Living Translation, but it's an older version of the New Living Translation, says that is why all glory goes to God, belongs to God throughout the ages of eternity. We should be shouting praises, and we'll be shouting praises all the way through eternity. Why? Because of his love and providing us something that we don't deserve and that we can't work for, we can't strive for it, and that's grace. So that's why Paul was praying for these these believers at the beginning of this letter, because they were having a hard time understanding grace and the peace that comes only from God. And the final word it says here is, Amen. Amen. The man who we say, And what that means is, indeed, it is truly so. They say it's it's most certainly trustworthy is what the Greek word amen means. And we've come to the end of Paul's salutation here in this letter to Galatia. And this verse is a remarkable statement, somewhat like Romans eleven thirty six, that says, for from him and through him and to him are all things, he says there, to him be the glory forever. And again, he says, amen, because there is no better way to say it. And you know, it's good for us too to, to, to think about that, that it is only God, it is to him, it is glory to him. And the idea of, of us trying, just this is one little thought that I'll close with, the idea of us trying to win God's favor and doing something to gain merit, this, this is rather appealing, isn't it? Because what's it do? It makes us look good. And, and, and that's why we, we like to please, don't we? But God didn't say we're to do this for our salvation or even for, for our sanctification because it's already been done for us. Paul was aware of this, how the Galatians were being deceived by the legalists. And these legalists wanted these guys to do that because it would please them as well. So they were man-pleasers. And they were wanting these guys to be man-pleasers. And they were trying to add this. Believe me, it was not a good gospel, was it? They were being tricked into being man-pleasers instead of standing on grace and peace and doing what pleased God. And this is why they needed this letter. And this is why we need to read this letter as well to remember that we are always to stand on his loving provision alone, remembering we could never begin to earn our own salvation or add to what Christ has done. We can never find a quietness, an etihien within us, or a confidence in our hearts without recognizing that it only comes from him, right? So as Paul prayed for the Galatian Christians, I also pray for you that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ will give you also not just grace, but understanding of grace, and that you will experience this at the end, this peace in your hearts because of what he's done. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you that you have given us your grace 
and you've given us your peace. We cannot work for those. We can't find them anywhere out in the world. They, they don't exist other than from you. And thank you so much. And I pray that we will remember these words, remember that, that you did this, and help us to continue to study the book of Galatians in our own time and, and learn more from it. Thank you so much. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.